Hello and welcome to Interfilm Recommends, a regular podcast for film club leaders to explore exciting new titles with their clubs. My name's Joe and as usual I'm joined by Michael. Hello. And this is our first episode of the Spring 2018 term where we'll discuss two more new DVD releases to watch at your club. In today's secondary theme podcast, we'll be discussing Dunkirk and Detroit to celebrate National Storytelling Week, which takes place on the 27th of January to the 3rd of February. Now, these may not be the most obvious titles to explore storytelling, but we believe they both do so in really interesting and uh, quite comparable ways. So both films are looking at historical events and in a sense they're putting their own interpretation on them. Dunkirk evokes silent cinema in its preference for sound and visuals over dialogue, also using multiple timelines to tell a story in an unorthodox manner. And Detroit is also a historical construction, this time of the city's infamous riots in three distinct acts, each of which strikes a different tone and seems to be influenced by a different genre. Let's talk more about these themes now, starting with Christopher Nolan's World War II masterpiece, Dunkirk. So Dunkirk is a 12 certificate, we've got it at 14 plus. And here's our young reporter Eve talking about what she thought about the film. Dunkirk is a pure drama set against the backdrop of the British government's attempt to evacuate over 300,000 stranded Allied soldiers from the beaches of Dunkirk during the Second World War. The evacuation is told to audiences through three different perspectives. We have the perspective of the evacuation from the land, the sea and even the air in which there are men on all three levels who played some sort of key role in how the evacuation process turned out. In my opinion, this is one of the most realistic depictions of what a war zone is like that that I've ever seen in film. The effect of having a lack of dialogue and the symphonic sound effects throughout contributes to the creation of a really brutal visual that encapsulates what a war zone is truly like. I really admire Nolan's take on telling the story. What Nolan can do, he has this unique ability to involve high-budget action sequences that are stunning to watch, but doesn't let this turn the film into your typical action movie where the plot is lost. This is just proof that he's one of the film industry's most innovative and skilled artists. So as we've heard there from Eve, this is an all-action portrayal. It has uh, little dialogue and the sound and the score does a lot of the work. Why do you think Nolan chooses to tell the story in such a way? And does it work? I think, as Eve was alluding to, Nolan is trying to create as immersive an experience as possible and really give the audience a sense that they are on the beach or on the sailboat or in the Spitfire plane. It really kind of conveys the hopelessness of their situation and the relentless sense of despair that I think would have been felt by people involved in the situation. There is very little dialogue and we learn very few characters' names. Any extra information is really entirely superfluous. These are people who are just concentrating on staying alive. I think one of the other powerful things about the film is that they're mostly young faces. You know, there are established stars in the film, so we see Kenneth Branagh and Mark Rylance and Tom Hardy and people like that. But most of our time is spent with young soldiers on the beats, and these were young soldiers who were barely out of store, and I think that's quite a sobering realisation for young audiences who might be learning about this event for the first time. I think also, so this is my second time watching it recently. Um, I first saw it in an IMAX, which was very intense and... You know, and it's an extraordinary, extraordinary experience to watch the film in that sense. Watching it on a small screen is very, very different. I think what it does is it allows the audience to sit back slightly and breathe and take in everything a bit more. So it's one of those films that really does work for repeated viewings. You know, the first time you just 
taking everything in and you're just kind of caught up in the whole relentless experience of it. Second time, you're a little bit more detached and I think that works quite effectively. So that said, you still also get the sense of chaos. It's, you know, it's difficult to know what's going on or where characters are. And this all feels very authentic to the situation. We don't see any German soldiers. And I think that's a very deliberate decision from the filmmakers. And that reflects the fact that for those on the beats, sightings of what was known as the enemy were extremely rare. And then finally, you've got the film Sound, which Eve also mentioned. You know, you've got this pulsating score from Hans Zimmer, which plays this one long piece throughout, and it uses samplings from the motor of one of the ships or the engine of a Spitfire. And that's mixed in to give this sense of constant acceleration, which plays out throughout the film. And together with this, we also hear the ominous ticking of a watch, um, which is often, you know, plays in in important parts of the film, um, which only adds to that sense of urgency. And then, mixed in with all of that, you've got this very subtle use of Eldar's Nimrod, which comes in towards the end of the film, and that really adds a kind of emotional wallop to the film as well, I think. Here's a clip from the film where we can hear some of those effects in action. How's the perimeter? Shrinking every day. Right between our rear guard and the French, we're holding the line. And the enemy tanks have stopped. Why have they stopped? Waste precious tanks when they can pick us off from the air like fish in a barrel. How long does London expect the army to hold out before we make terms? Make terms? They're not stopping here. We need to get our army back. Britain's next, and then the rest of the world. Christ. You can practically see it from here. What? Home. Adding to the sense of chaos and confusion is the fact that Chris Nolan uses... Um, Three different timelines here, which he often does uh, uses time as a thematic device in his films. Why is it so effective in Dunkirk? So, as you say, he does have form in playing with ideas of time. You know, most notably in films like Inception and Interstellar. If anybody's seen those films, but it goes right back to his breakthrough film Memento in the year two thousand. Um, what he does here is it really makes time itself a setting in the film. So, as you mentioned, you've got three time periods here: a week which is the sequences on the beach in the mole, um, a day, which are the sequences um, on the boat, on the rescue boats, and an hour, um, which is the sequences on the Spitfire. And rather than present these sequences in a linear fashion, which most films would do, they're all intercut. So we're watching these three stories unfold simultaneously, and then they gradually converge towards the end of the film in this sense of unbearable tension by that point. Um, and you've also got these characters gradually facing the consequences of time. So time's a really important theme in this film. So it's waiting for the enemy to arrive or for the torpedo to hit the ship or cross the channel before it's too late. You know, again, time is just a crucial, crucial part of everything that this film is trying to do. Um, and I think that's one of those things, is to build up a larger picture of the events of Dunkirk without cutting away from the action. So he wants to provide as multi, you know, many points of view as he possibly can, and a subjective point of view as well. It all adds to this escalation of tension and rhythm, which is what Dunkirk's dominated by. It's not a gory film or a violent film, but it has that intensity that I think is incredibly powerful. So for fans of Dunkirk, what other films, war or otherwise, would you recommend next? Well, we're recording this in early January when Darkest Hour has just hit cinemas, which is the uh, biopic of Winston Churchill. That makes a fascinating companion piece with Dunkirk because it takes place over the same period of time, but much more about the political perspective. So I definitely recommend that. 
Um, Joe Wright's film Atonement dealt with um, sequences on Dunkirk very famously. It's got this wonderful five-minute track and shot across the beach, um, which is a really, really powerful moment in cinema, I think. Joe Wright also made Darkest Hour. Good point, yeah. So before the film came out, Christopher Nolan programmed a series of films at the BFI in London, demonstrating the titles that had particularly influenced him when making Dunkirk. And what's fascinating about the list is it's not the titles you would expect. You know, one might expect to see Saving Private Ryan on there and, you know, The Great Escape and all of these kind of World War II epics. It's not. He's much more focused on the craft of an action film. So you've got films like Speed in there and Tony Stott's brilliant train film Unstoppable. Um, And then there's also stuff like Alien... Um, Alfred Hitchcock's thriller, Foreign Correspondent. There's a silent epic in there called Sunrise, which is a real masterpiece. And only one actual war film, which is the World War I epic, All Quiet on the Western Front. So I think any of those films would be fantastic, um, just to kind of unpack a little bit how Nolan is approaching the film and his, and his storytelling techniques. Um, but that said, there's also obviously the World War II film list that we have on the Interfilm website, which goes into all sorts of history about various aspects of the conflict. The two films it reminds me of a lot is no. uh, British film 71, particularly right. yeah. at the very beginning, yeah. and uh, Gravity in terms of its sense okay. of scale and sound. Yes. And, and the, the fact that you, you know, everyone had to see it on a big screen. Indeed. It's got a lot in common with Gravity. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but do check those out, and also check out the blog we have on Dunkirk called Dunkirk and the Visceral Power of Cinema, which you wrote, Joe. I did, yes. Okay, that's everything for Dunkirk. Now we're going to move on to our second film of the podcast, Detroit. Detroit is a 15 certificate. We have it at 16 plus on the catalogue because it really is um, very intense and very hard hitting. And it's a reconstruction of the 1967 Detroit riots, specifically the events which unfolded at the Algiers Motel. Here's a clip from the film's trailer where John Baker's character talks about those unfortunate events. It's about what went on at the motel. What happened at the motel? You don't know, I tell you. I was working security by Wisconsin. And on Tuesday night, we heard gunfire coming from the area near the Algiers. Police was there. There was a lot of shooting. in there three kids have been killed no so they were killed right before you got there sir yeah interestingly the film has a number of british actors in prominent roles including will poulter as one of those officers detroit is directed by Catherine bigelow and she has a track record of tackling history through cinema most notably in Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker, the latter of which she won the Best Director Oscar for. And these both explore different aspects of modern warfare between the West and the Middle East. Okay, so Michael, the film opens in a very striking way and um, over the course of its narrative incorporates a variety of different filmmaking styles and techniques. How would you describe it? Yeah, this is really quite an extraordinary mishmash of different influences. Uh, The film actually begins with an animated sequence um, from an African-American animator called Jacob Lawrence, which explains the backstory and the lead-up to the riots. 
and provides a bit of context for uh, the African-American experience uh, at that time. Um, it's actually quite unexpected and as well as attempting to provide some sort of context for the forthcoming narrative, it lets the viewer know that this isn't going to be a conventional based on a true story drama. Mm. Um, and from here, um, the film is split into three distinct acts, uh, even more so than with any other uh, film, particularly in terms of the style and tone and how that changes. So the build-up feels like you know um, a story about political and historically significant um, people and events about citizenship introduces these characters and uh, settings in a way that you know is quite impressed with. Mm. Um, it is in absolutely no rush to tell its story. It's about two hours twenty minutes, I think. So it takes its time in introducing us to um, a variety of characters uh, before it brings them all together. The middle section of the film is by far the longest, and it is um, particularly brutal and violent and intense. And this is where the hostage situation. Um, becomes apparent. It feels like uh, a kind of home invasion horror in how, in terms of how oppressive and uncomfortable it is for both the characters on the screen and the viewers as well. Uh, and the way it's shot and presented is full of, you know, constantly shaking, moving camera, um, close-ups, this loud piercing sound. It's it's documentary-esque, um, and that is it's very difficult um, to watch in the right way. And the third act, which we heard a clip from in the trailer earlier, is more like a police procedural turned courtroom drama. So it's it's incredible in terms of the way it's presented and how it changes. It constantly moves between different genres. Um, we can hear in this clip from our interview with Will Poulter, uh, which he highlights why a film like Detroit was the right way to explore these events. I think film is a, is a wonderful way to do it because it's a combination of of the sound and visual and so uh, therein lies a kind of quite a sort of visceral experience and you can communicate very important messages, you know, in a sort of like, uh, in a kind of multi-sensory way. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the power of film for me. And I think although escapism is fantastic and, you know, we all like to go and see a film to sort of get away from whatever is stressing us in our, in our everyday lives, if we can also receive an education and, and have an enriching experience by watching film, then, um, then, then that's, that's when film realises its full potential. And for me, it's, it's my favourite medium because it, it, it combines all of that when, it, when it's at its best. Okay, so in an interview, the film's screenwriter, Mark Bowles, said that one of the values of looking at the past is that it enables you to look at the present from another perspective and ask questions such as how much has changed and how much has not changed. Um, so how does that statement relate to Detroit, do you think? Well, it's incredibly relevant to Detroit in two main ways, I'd say. Firstly, um, it allows us to look at the past from a different and more distant perspective, so we can see that the change has or maybe hasn't occurred since. Uh, we can place it into a wider historical context because of this passage of time to recognise you know, what's truly historically significant and how it fits with the events that have come since. Um, and also it's, you know, sometimes this is necessary simply to access the full truth. So screenwriter uh, Mark Ball, who's a regular collaborator of Catherine Bigelow's, conducted extensive research into the events, so TV and radio reports, court records, FBI materials, um, witnesses and so on. And secondly is how these events relate to the current climate, particularly in the US. 
saw race riots, imprisonments of ethnic minorities, shootings of young black men, and other miscarriages of justice have remained prevalent over the past couple of decades, and there have been many instances of these in even more recent times. As a result, there have been uh, many films tackling these subjects in different ways, which we'll talk about in a second. But before we do that, let's listen to one of the film stars, Hannah Murray, who talks about this very issue. Yeah, I mean, I would say, like, whenever I've, whenever I've discussed this film with anyone, the first thing they always say is how, how relevant it is to what's going on today. And um, I think that those, those kind of parallels are unavoidable. So this is, you know, as we've discussed already, quite an intense and brutal film. Why do you think it's important for young people to see it and understand the sorts of issues it's attempting to raise? And um, are there any other titles that you would recommend that deal with similar themes? Yeah, it does feel relentless, and I appreciate there is perhaps uncomfortable, um, even difficult viewing for some people, but I do think it's necessary for the film to be like that. Um, mm. It does allow the events to hit home in a way that they should... Um, and to have have the full impact. Um, as I mentioned, there's a lot of discussion to be had around this film and the events portrayed. Um, so I do think young people would really benefit from seeing it and learning and understanding more about this part of history. Um, there are lots of different ways that you can explore this film and other films that relate to it. Something like Selma is a very obvious choice. Um, Fruitvale Station, which is the story of an unarmed black man named Oscar Grant III, who was killed by a police officer on New Year's Day 2009. Uh, this is actually about the day leading up to that horrific incident with a terrific performance from rising star Michael B. Jordan in the lead role. Um, you've also got I'm Not Your Negro, which is a documentary chronicling the civil rights movement um, in the US uh, through the words of James Baldwin, narrated by Samuel L. Jackson, and it focuses on his relationships with uh, people like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and Medgar Evers, and he uses archive and contemporary footage to really brilliant effect. There are many other films which have similar topics to these. Don't forget to, you can use the search function on interfilm.org to find those that fit the parameters you're looking for. Uh, we also have a blog uh, which Joe wrote on the film called Detroit and Film as a Tool for Social Change. We do. I would just throw in two films that I would recommend myself. One is um, 2017's film Get Out, which obviously is a hugely important film about the contemporary African-American experience, particularly in the, in the American South. And also Spike Lee's biopic of Malcolm X, which really gets to grips with the history in a really compelling and gripping way. And it's got this fantastic performance by Denzel Washington at its heart. So that's a cracking film. Um, but that's everything for today. Thank you very much for listening. Do check out our previous podcasts on SoundCloud and iTunes, all of which are accompanied by show notes, which link to resources including film guides, film lists, blogs and video content. And if you're also interested in primary content, we also have a new podcast episode available featuring the wonderfully named and brilliantly funny Captain Underpants. We'll be back with a new episode in February, so tune in then. <laughs>